Hello and welcome to the In the Booth podcast. I'm here with education reporter Emma Kerr and current Board of Education President Brad Young, who is running for re-election. Emma, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Brad, thanks for joining us. You're quite welcome. So, Emma, we're here uh, covering uh, the first podcast for the Board of uh, Education election. Um, and Mr. Young, you are searching your for your third term Correct. on the board. Yeah, and I thought we would just kick it off by starting, you know, what are the most important issues to you in this election? What's what's on your mind this election? Well, there, there were three main priorities I had in running for a third term. The first was the completion of our salary transition schedule. We worked really hard for a number of years uh, to negotiate with our teachers on a new salary scale. Uh, and we started implementing that, and we got another year yet to get that fully implemented. That pulled our starting teaching pay from being at the bottom of the state back up into the top where it needs to be. Uh, we were starting to lose teachers to other counties like Carroll County and Washington County, and not putting those counties down, but Frederick County should never lose teachers to Fred, uh, Carroll or Washington County because of pay. Uh, second thing is school safety. Obviously, over the last few years, uh, a number of unfortunate incidents have happened from part Parkland uh, to uh, the incident down in uh, Maryland earlier last year. And so I want to make sure that we fully implement all the safety procedures uh, that we need to do. This year, one of the new things we have, uh, I just stopped over at Minoxi Middle School, and they have a raptor where you have to put your ID in uh, as you go into the school to get identified. Uh, that cross-checks that against a number of databases to make sure uh, that we're not letting a bad person into the school. The second is the completion of the uh, security festival so that when you come into a school, uh, you're in a secured area before you can go out to the general population of the school. Uh, we have a number of those yet to be completed. And I continue to work with our sheriff and our city police uh, and our SROs and our schools to make sure we're doing everything we can uh, to make sure schools are as safe as possible. That also includes mental health. I've been a big advocate for more mental health positions in our schools, making sure that we have a mental health uh, person in each of our schools so that when students have issues, hopefully they can be identified and they can get the help that they need before something bad happens. Uh, and the uh, final one uh, was the uh, it has to do with our new uh, links program at Frederick High. Yesterday afternoon, the board got an update of the great things that are going on at Frederick High with the links program, making education more adaptable to what students' needs are and giving them more real-life experience, which is what we've heard from our students that they want. It's working great. This is the second year of Frederick High, so the sophomore and freshman class uh, have been exposed to it. And so as we move forward, it's getting that fully implemented and then sharing those best practices with our other high schools. So those are three among many about some of the top ones that, that made me want to run for a third term. Yeah, and since you brought up links, I mean, we can just jump right into mm -hmm. talking about that a little more. Um, yes. I mean, what are you really hoping to see there in terms of expansion? Uh, what needs to happen next? Well, obviously, it was a bold initiative, and, and that initiative was – uh, we had applied for a state grant, and in the end, uh, they didn't get the full grant. We got some money from the state, but it requires some flexibility on our teachers' parts, on the students' parts, so there are financial costs to it. So again, what we need to find out is what's working uh, and what the cost to those are and how do we expand that to our other high schools. There are a number of parts of links that actually are working that don't necessarily have a cost impact to them, and it will be easier to get those started. Uh, but many people don't know right now at Frederick High, we're serving on average over 100 dinners 
a day uh, to students that are going through flexible schedules, either having a fifth block and staying for sports activity, for band activity, just to study, uh, or to work with their advocate that they have in the school. And so again, it's trying to make education more adaptive to what student and uh, family needs are in our community. And pinpointing those specific, you know, initiatives or changes or expansions, you're kind of looking, I've heard a few times, looking to see that four-year number once you get the first class graduated, then kind of being able to assess what's working, what's not. But we also yeah. heard a little bit about attendance. Right. We, we saw yesterday. that attendance since uh, in those classes that are exposed to it has gone up. And that was across all uh, segments of the population. So sometimes we see spikes in certain areas. The one that I was most heartened, the biggest spike up was in our special education students. So what we find at is Frederick if, High School. at Frederick High School mm-hmm. that we're participating in links. And so what we find is if you can get students excited about going to school and, and knowing that they're going to get a product that is going to help them in life, help them in their educational endeavors, they get excited and they buy into it. It's also great that they have a beautiful new state-of-the-art building. Uh, That certainly, I'm sure, helps as well. But it would help to have a full class that's gone through all four years, but but I'm not that patient, so I'd rather start to look and see what we know that's working and start to adapt that to other schools as well. You, you mentioned the, the state grant helps fund links, and that's a recurring cost each year, right? The, a number the, of the issues that are there have to do with staffing that are recurring costs. And so if, if the funding, uh, anytime you take a grant and you're creating an ongoing program, you always have the danger that if that grant ends, you either have to end the program or find the funding somewhere else. I think because of the positive results that we're seeing at Lynx, uh, we're going to make it a priority that even if we don't get the grant funding, that we're going to continue doing those things uh, that make our students stay more engaged in their education. How, and maybe it's not through work through people in Annapolis, but how confident do you feel in the governor uh, whoever that may be come after November, and your work with, with state lawmakers uh, to keep that money in the budget, to keep that grant going. Well, having been involved in politics my entire life, I never speculate about any certainty of anybody being reelected. And therefore, you know, again, I, I'm going to assume that it's there. But if it's not, we will deal with it. Uh, I think certainly the governor that's there now is committed to it. And I would think that the, if uh, the other candidate won, he would be committed to it as well. I know the legislature likes the results that they're seeing. So, But if you come a tight year and, and things have to be cut, you don't know what Uh, could be cut, and that could be one of those things. And if it is, we have to be ready to either step up and reallocate something else uh, or at least prioritize those things that are not, that are cost neutral to make sure that we can continue them. What are some of the the non-budgetary things that you would like to see kind of carried over into the other schools? Well, the first off is just the more the flexibility of of students uh, uh, getting credit for Uh, life experiences. One of the things that we heard last night, we had a fairly long discussion on that, was students can can take a, uh, for instance, if they have a PE credit, instead of taking a PE class, if they're playing on a sports team, they can use that and get a credit for that. And people will say, well, what does that do? Well, what that does then is it frees up another credit that they can take on an elective. One of the biggest things that we hear from our students and our parents is that their schedules are 
so full, they don't have an opportunity to take electives like band, upper level uh, classes that uh, that they might want to take, and they have to make tough choices. And so we heard from one of our teachers yesterday that, you know, he's lost music students in their senior year because they had to take upper level or college level type classes. And if they didn't have the room in their schedule, they missed out on that. Well, that's one of the things that, again, I think giving credit for those types of experiences, we can do. I don't see why that can't be done throughout the school system. Yeah. And I mean, you just while you're talking, you know, I'm kind of, you know, hearing you, you just are arguably, you know, one of the most experienced mm-hmm. candidates, you're an incumbent. Um, I mean, when you're looking at the other, you know, the candidate pool, you got about eight people left, you know, what are you kind of hoping to see uh, the composition of the board, or, you know, in terms of more experienced or hoping to get some fresh faces? Right. First off, I'll say again, about our current board and all the candidates that are running for the board, they're all passionate about education. You would not run for this office if it weren't because it's certainly not for the salary and it's certainly not because you like sitting through seven or eight hour meetings it has to be because you're passionate about education i think a board is good to have diverse members on there that represent uh, different uh, ethnic populations different uh, socioeconomic classes different work experiences i'm probably the only one on the board that comes from the financial field and i think that adds a lot of uh, a different flavor to the board that um that, is, that wasn't there and isn't in the field that's running. Uh, we have other members, Jay Mason, that's running right now. We don't have an African-American on the board. And I think Jay is a great candidate, and he would offer a different perspective that none of the rest of us can offer. Camden Rayner's running, who's a student. Uh, he is a young man, but a very intelligent young man. And I think he would have a lot to offer as his perspective as having been a recent student and being a young person in this county that's there. Karen Yoho is a teacher that's running. Uh, she's got the experience from the classroom. You know, Dr. April Miller is running. She has, uh, again, her experience in the business field that's there. Uh, it certainly comes with a more conservative uh, bent than others, but that's, it's good to have that diversity on the board. So uh, Kim Williams comes from a military background. has got kids that came up through Frederick County, uh, is a uh, great candidate. So there's a lot of great candidates that are out there. Uh, it, it's fortunate that the voting public has some good people to choose from. Now, the first three names, you're running on a slate there with those three on the Apple ballot. Can you sort of explain what the endorsement of that teacher's union means uh, you know, in your search for a third right. term? Well, you know, the first term I ran, I was endorsed by FCTA. The second time I ran, I was not. This time I am. It's, it's, it's definitely a valuable endorsement to have because they do carry a lot of weight. Parents do like to know who their teachers are recommending that would be good candidates to support education. So I certainly am not running. I'm very proud to have FCTA's endorsement. And I think I got that endorsement because I worked very hard with them to negotiate this new teacher uh, salary scale and so and to work hard to get the funding to implement it. And so I think that paid off as far as their uh, support of me. I Again, I won four years without it. So if candidates can win with or without it, it, it doesn't change who I am. I've always been a pro-education person, uh, but again, I, I'm, I'm very happy to have their support and to know that they're backing me. You, you talked earlier about one of the things that you're passionate about is, is school safety, one of the things you're running yes. on, and that's obviously been in the, in the news quite a lot in the last year, two years even, uh, pretty much since Sandy Hook, I would say, actually. Uh, do you feel like Frederick County has done enough uh, to ensure that their schools are as safe as possible 
what more could be done, mm-hmm. and what do you think of the current or the, the most recent steps you guys have put in? Well, first off, school safety is extremely important. My girls are through school, but I have a three-year-old grandson who will be entering those hallways in just two years. In fact, I just had lunch with him before I got here, and then a granddaughter that will be shortly behind her. So nobody wants to send their kid to school thinking that something bad could happen. Uh, I think we've done a lot to uh, make school safer, uh, but I'll always get that question. Can you guarantee me my kid's going to be safe in school? I can't guarantee your kid will be safe anywhere uh, in this world as it is today. Uh, We've done a number of things, including, as I said, the uh, Raptor program for identification, the securing of making sure that people are going through a checkpoint before entering the school. We've trained our students on avoid, deny, defend, uh, and working closely with our sheriff's department. What that says, and, and again, I teach as well. I teach at Mount St. Mary's, and I'll tell you, I have probably 20 four seniors and four juniors in my class and the first day when I have to talk to them about what are we going to do if there's an active shooter in the hallway who's going to go out and close the door who's going to break the window and be prepared to jump out of this class to save your life and if that doesn't work who's going to be prepared to fight whoever comes into this room that's what we have to teach our students and our faculty unfortunately today avoid the situation if you can't if you can get away from it if you can't try to deny entrance to the person to getting to you and ultimately if either of those don't work you have to defend yourself and those are things that we've gone through with our students our school system has had a number of forums for parents last spring we had the principal of columbine high school uh, at the time come up and give a presentation up at the Tocton area. Uh, So we've done a lot of things to try and make sure kids are safe. I think the best thing that we have going for us is our SRO program, our school resource officers. We have one uh, sheriff deputy assigned to every high school feeder program or uh, school. And then in the city, the city police provide an additional officer for most of the city middle and some of the uh, city elementary schools. Those officers get to know the students. They're there every day. And hopefully when a student recognizes something that's out of the ordinary, they will go to that officer and say, Uh, you know, this isn't right, can you take a look into it? The worst thing I think that we have going as far as school safety is social media. Social media has taken um, students' abilities to make threats against others to a new level, and it happens 24-7. So many times students are doing things in the evening, and then it pours into the morning when they see each other in school. My advice to any parent, don't let your kids get on social media Uh, as long as you can keep them off there because there are a lot of bad things that happen there and a lot of things that, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to monitor. Emma, anything on school safety from you? Um, I mean, I was just thinking while you were talking, you know, you mentioned, um, I guess I'm guessing as, you know, as you're campaigning, you're talking with, you know, parents and families Mm -hmm. a lot and and your role on the board. What is the issue that, is this, I guess, the issue that parents are most kind of coming to you about or families are most coming to you about or what, what are those kinds of issues that, that you're getting a lot safety is always one of them the other one is overcrowding of schools and so you go down to the urbana area where all their schools are overcrowded well over 100 percent you go out to the 
west side of the city. Now, we just opened a new squat there, Butterfly Ridge, which helped alleviate that. But all one has to do is drive around 40, and you'll see all the new construction that's happening, what's going to happen on the VFW property when they put several hundred homes there. And then the other farms that they're developing in that area, those schools are going to be overcrowded again in a matter of years. Uh, and so down in the Urbana area, when Sugar when uh, Sugarloaf opens up, uh, again, if you look around that area, all the new construction, those schools are going to be uh, overcrowded. At yesterday's meeting, Commission, uh, County Executive Gardner uh, did come and commit the county to speeding up the funding for putting an addition on Oakdale Middle School and building a new East County Elementary School. Uh, and so the board voted to support going ahead and doing the planning for that. Uh, but we were also uh, wanting to make sure that that wasn't going to bump any other projects because Waverly is due for a renovation. Actually, they're going to get a complete new building. And unfortunately, we're building an 1,065-seat elementary school uh, because of the amount of population in that area and because of the fact that there's not a lot more buildable sites to put elementary schools out in that area. So we're, we're putting a mega elementary school to handle that population. So we were very happy yesterday to find out from the county executive that she's going to find the funding so we can move those two projects ahead of schedule. And then further, you know, we're probably going to be talking a lot about redistricting with Sugarloaf. What are you kind of hoping to see happen there? What kind of scope are you? Well, that's the worst thing you ever want to talk to parents about is redistricting. (laughs) Uh, It's a very touchy subject. Nobody ever likes their kid to be transferred to a different school. And so this year we're going through the process of developing the new district boundaries because of Sugarloaf when it opens in the fall of 2020. Uh, And so we've identified all the potential schools that would be affected by that. We'll have community meetings in all those communities and those schools so that we can get feedback from them. Obviously, we look at transportation as one of the key issues. Uh, it's, it's advantageous to get as many students that can walk to school because it cuts down your busing transportation. Uh, but we have to make sure they can do that safely. So again, they have to have a walkable route, but it also has to be safe. And so as we go through all that input put by next by this coming spring, the board will get back a recommended redistricting plan. The board will put its input into it. Then we'll take it out to uh, public comment again into a uh, open hearing on that particular districting plan before we finalize it probably sometime uh, late next uh, spring, May, June time frame. And then at least everybody will have a one-year uh, buffer to know what the new attendance pattern will be for 2020. Um, and so when the Butterfly, re- re- Butterfly Ridge redistricting happened, there was um, a specific neighborhood that at one point in the redistricting process was split in half. Mm-hmm. And there was an amendment made, I think it was Ken Kerr, and it was supported by the board uh, to put that neighborhood back together because they wanted to be back together, even though it meant overcrowding a school. Right. When you are making a decision, a personal decision on uh, what how you're going to vote on a redistricting, what are you looking at in terms of how do you balance whether neighborhoods don't want to change schools and they want to come together, the crowding that's there, uh, breaking up pockets of of, of 
higher uh, farm rates, things like that. What do you look at personally? What is most important to you? Well, this kind of all started, if you go all the way back to when Oakdale High School was built, and they had to develop the new feeder patterns for that. They ended up splitting up Spring Ridge, which is a very large development. It always has been the desire trying to keep communities and areas together because it's good for the chemistry of the school. It's good for the chemistry of the community. Unfortunately, with Butterfly Ridge, uh, a number of the communities uh, that are there were within eyesight of the school. And so they didn't want to have to go to a school they couldn't see and walk right by the school that they were at. Obviously, in that community, transportation is an issue, and we have a lot of not only the students, but the parents that need to walk and be able to walk to school to pick up their kid, walk to school for conferences and for after-school activities, so that was a big issue. In that same uh, redistricting, Linton Springs, which is a newer development out off Ballinger Creek Pike, uh, it got split. What was on one side of Ballinger uh, went to one school, and what was on the other side went to another school. And we heard from a lot of those parents that were upset about that. So it's not been a board policy that we have to keep a particular community together. We would look at all the criteria that are there. To your question about farm students, at the end, the new school, uh, Sugar uh, Butterfly Ridge, and Waverly and Hillcrest after the redistricting all stayed as Title I or STAR schools as we call them today. Uh, the, the advantage of that is that you get a lot of additional grant funding to provide for smaller class sizes and additional uh, English language learner services that would not be there otherwise, which helps, helps us with the budget. The downside to that is you don't get enough diversity of students and being exposed. And so uh, there, there, it, it's not always a clear-cut decision. I take all those things into factor before I make my decision. And I know staff, when they're developing their proposal, look at all those things. The board set a criteria of list of factors that are to be taken into consideration in doing a redistricting. And they're not in a uh, priority order. So they're all factors that are taking into consideration. That is one factor. But again, it could happen one way at one school and another way at another school, depending on the transportation issues. So you're thinking with redistricting is more case by case than kind of trying to achieve a certain goal or having a certain... It is, but always with the same criteria that we're looking at as far as trying to develop what the recommended uh, district boundaries would be. And so again, there's always going to be circumstances. Uh, and transportation has a lot to do with that. Sometimes, again, where a school site is located, it, it's not very convenient or safe for students to walk to. And so if all students are being bused there, then it really doesn't matter uh, as far as trying to figure out where you're busing them from. If there's a certain population that can walk there, then by having those students walk and attend that school, it's going to cut your transportation cost and allow you to have money for other services. And just to ask, you know, a wrap-up couple of questions, um, you mentioned one of your priorities is, um, you know, teachers and working on that. There's been a lot of discussion about diversity among mm -hmm. teachers. Is that a priority for you, and how do you how do you see that being achieved? It is absolutely a priority of my, mine, and it's a priority of our board. Uh, it's, it's one of those issues that's really tough. Right now, Maryland does not graduate enough teachers to even fill the need of teachers in the state of Maryland. So it's, what it's meaning is that we're having to go 
go out of state to recruit, out of state to hire as people transfer. We do a lot to uh, recruit in our historically black colleges. We've gone to other avenues where uh, minority recruiting is done to try and do that. What I've done as a board member, a couple of things. Uh, one was I, I, I had one of my best friend's daughter uh, is uh, African-American, and she wanted to teach in Frederick County, and she was uh, going to be an art teacher. Well, that's one of the hardest teacher jobs to get because uh, there are a lot of people that want them. She was put in for some interviews in Frederick County, but she called me and said, hey, I've got an offer in Montgomery County. And I said, well, where do you really want to teach? Because I want to teach in Frederick County. But I couldn't guarantee her say you're absolutely going to get a job in Frederick County. And if she had turned down that job and then not gotten a job in Frederick County, she would have been stuck. Once she accepts the offer from Montgomery County, she can't then say, oh, no, sorry, I've got a job in Frederick County. I'm going back to take that. Or she could lose her teaching credentials. So one of the things that I did said was the sooner we can find out how many teachers we have that are retiring, we can start to offer contracts. So we put in place an early incentive for teachers to announce their retirement. Before a teacher could wait till June 30th and say, oops, I'm retiring, and then we're out scrambling to find a teacher. Now, if they make that announcement by, uh, it was originally March, it might be February now, they get like a $500 incentive. But then we know we have an open teaching slot, so if we go out and find a good minority candidate, we can offer them a position. If we offer them a position what's called an open contract, meaning we want to hire you, but we don't know where you're going to go. And then we don't have a spot for them. We still have to pay them. And so that's why we've shied away from offering a lot of open contracts. uh, And that that hurts us in the process. So trying to do things to speed up when we can hire teachers will mean that we can make decisions that will help us get more minority teachers in Frederick County. So we have time for one more question. Was there anything you didn't ask that you want? Okay. Uh, So October 25th is coming. That's the first day for early voting. Yes. November 6th is is coming. Give us your 45-second elevator pitch for why someone should vote for you. Well, I, I do remind people you have four votes for Board of Education, so make sure to look at the candidates. There are eight people that are running. Uh, I think my experience on the board this past eight years and my educational experience overall Uh, I served 15 years on the board of Frederick Community College, uh, six years on the state board of community college trustees, including as president, six years on the national board of community college trustees, six years on the universities at Shady Grove, 13 on the Academy of Finance board in Frederick County, and over 15 years volunteering with Junior Achievement. Uh, and another 10 years teaching Sunday school, over 50 years of educational board service that I have the experience in education. I think also my financial background, having been a certified financial planner, uh, investing for clients and understanding the impacts of budgets uh, is a unique experience that I bring to the board. So between my educational experience my financial background, and my passion. Education is truly the one thing that allows somebody to lift themselves up. I I believe so passionately. I taught this morning, uh, 8 o'clock at Mount. I always just get so energized going in the classroom uh, and knowing that I'm giving some of me and my experiences to them to help them improve themselves is why I'm so passionate about education and why I think you should support me on November 6th. Awesome. Well, Brad, we appreciate you coming in. Emma, thanks for joining us. Again, this has been the In the Booth podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you.